brought to you by Chemistry. Hello and welcome back to Brought to You by Chemistry. In the last episode, we spoke with Dr. Audrey Denazel about environmental and health policies around air quality and how city planning can help change citizens' behaviours, creating healthier air and people. Well, today we're going to be looking closely at policies such as ULES to learn firsthand how they can directly impact our health, well-being and economy. Time to bring in our first guest, Deputy Mayor of London, Shirley Rodriguez. So I suppose my first little um, question would be very briefly, could you explain sort of what the ultra low emission zone actually is and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, sure. So the ultra low emission zone is a, a clean air zone. And in London, and there are a number of clean air zones around the country, we set certain standards for vehicles, Euro 4 for petrol, Euro 6 for diesel. Um, and vehicles need to meet that standard to be able to drive now in the whole of London. We've just recently expanded the ultra low emission zone to all of London uh, in August, 29th of August. Um, if you don't meet those standards, then you have to pay £12.50 to drive in every day um, that you use that vehicle um, because it's non-compliant. Um, and if you don't pay the charge, then there is a fine. Um, so it's £180 uh, reduced to £90 uh, if you pay it within a certain time. And the idea is that um, it's to get people thinking about their car use. We have lots of older polluting vehicles and we know how much they contribute to um, lots of impacts, uh, health impacts from asthma through to dementia, through to heart disease. And increasingly we're seeing evidence, health evidence about how it affects the whole life course from even before birth all the way through through to old age. Okay. And so, you know, the ultra low emission zone was more concentrated within central London. And so why now, sort of in this year, 2023, has it been expanded further out? The evidence, as I've said, is uh, every day we're getting more and more health evidence. So um, the WHO, for example, has updated its um, health-based guidelines on, on air pollution um, and applying that to London. There is nowhere in London that is that meets those health-based guidelines. Um, so whilst we have some um, legal limits, um, the mayor doesn't believe that is sufficient to protect the health of Londoners. Um, so we wanted to um, implement um, a number of policies. So the ultra low emission zone is one of a number of policies that the mayor has been doing from cleaning up our buses, um, incentivizing the uses of uh, zero emission capable taxis, electric vehicle charging. Of course, our big one is moving uh, more people onto active and public transportation. Um, the target for that is 80 percent of all trips by 2041. Um, so all of these things uh, together with what we do on planning and so on are, are, are sort of suite of proposals and activities that, that, that we undertake to try and improve our air, um, air quality in London. The ultra low emission zone is just one of those. So I should say, sorry, we started out with the toxicity charge, which is when the mayor first started talking about um, taking this forward. So in 2017, we introduced um, a £10 additional uh, charge to people driving in the congestion charge zone as a sort of precursor to what we were doing. And then in 2019, we introduced um, the Central London zone, 21, we expanded it to inner London, and then 23, early this year, we expanded it to outer London. And that's because the evidence showed that the transformation we were seeing within uh, central and inner 
um, there were still very many people who are exposed to air pollution in outer London, 5 million people who weren't uh, experienced the benefit of the, 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 the central and inner zones. Um, we had evidence from the Asthma and Lung UK organisation, for example, about um, the, the impact um, on older people was much more um, prevalent in outer London, um, more GPs visits and, and so on, asthma emissions, etc. You know, so lots of evidence from lots of sources. So the mayor wanted to make sure that people living in outer London were, were benefiting just as much as people um, in inner London. As I've said, the, the impacts on health are so um, severe, but, um, you know, we had to, to, to take action. Look, London is huge and the mayoral office doesn't just control everything and you know mm -hmm. can do everything at the same time you have to work with all the different london boroughs so yeah. how how does it work how does something like ULES or you know air quality policies more in general mm -hmm. how does it work and how do you sort of drip them down and get all the london boroughs singing from the same hymn sheet well well first of all you're right the governance in in london is um very dissipated so similarly with waste management, for example, um, and that's a bit of a legacy from um, abolition of the GLC for those of uh, your listeners and, and viewers who might remember that. I really, um, really like that you've uh, put in a political term the fact <laughs> that when I moved from uh, Croydon to somewhere else, that the bins were on a different day and it really, really annoyed me. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, um, the mayor doesn't have um, the ability to control that. So a lot of what the mayor does is sets the vision um, and some objectives for London. But then who delivers them will depend, you know, um, so it could be the local authorities, it could be housing associations, it could be, um, you know, health authorities and so on. So the mayor doesn't have the ability to direct uh, those organisations, um, but but what he does is works in partnership with them and tries to set that standard, tries to convene organisations um, in order to to try and move everybody forward in in London to to meet his his you know very uh, big objectives for you know for example for London to be a net zero carbon city by 2030 rather than um, the UK government uh, level of 2050 and, and so on. But in terms of air pollution, we do have some very limited powers. So, so the air quality strategy is set by by government, um, and the Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs is is sort of legally responsible for making sure the legal limits that are set by government aren't exceeded in England. And they do a lot of things like sort of coordinating air quality assessments and action plans, and they're the ones that would would set, for example, for those um, areas that where uh, air quality isn't um, within legal limits or doesn't look like it will be, then then sort of what, what policies could those areas implement? And that's where the, that's sort of the genesis of the, the clean air zones where a number of authorities were mandated to take action. Um, London wasn't because the, the mayor had already decided um, that, that we wanted to implement and bring forward basically the clean air zone, uh, our equivalent with the ultra low emission zone. And that, um, that was brought in uh, in 2019. Um, and, and the mayor is then able to say, OK, we've got um, the standards for England, the air quality standards, we've got legal limits and objectives that the, the government have set in the air quality strategy. But as mayor, you know, I don't think that's right for London. So um, I want to go further and faster. And that's uh, what he did. So in our environment strategy, his environment strategy in 2018, uh, we said that we wanted to meet the W 
WHO, the World Health Organization, um, health-based guidelines. We wanted to work towards them to meet them by 2030. Um, more recently, the government has just amended its air quality strategy to reflect the WHO guidelines, but, but to a different date, but not by 2030, by 2035. So again, um, sort of delaying we believe delaying action and I don't know if you you'll remember again that you know many of the, the sort of EU limits that were set in in um, in, in uh, our law in our legislation um, the then government applied for a derogation sort of condemning a generation uh, to to poor air quality and of course all the health impacts associated with that so the mayor having set his objectives and we got this air quality strategy we, we were able to then to set for London a sort of framework um, of um, activity that the the boroughs um, would would then um, need to sort of um, meet. So they they're required basically to look at uh, review um, what the air quality is like in their area, um, where it's not great, then to declare air quality um, action zones um, and report annually really on their pollution levels and what actions they're taking to reduce emissions. And through that guidance that we offer, we try and sort of get them to do. Um, more uh, more public transport, more walking, more um, work on non-transport uh, related pollution. Um, uh, and we also provide funding, some funding, not a huge amount because the mayor doesn't have a huge amount of funding, but we have, for example, a mayor's air quality fund, which they can bid for. That That's the general approach, but largely it's about trying to encourage, um, incentivize, um, convene, local authorities to work together. And, and, and the mayor has been very clear, we cannot tackle many of the problems we face in London alone. We have to do that in partnership. And, and you know, many of those local authorities or many other organisations are very keen to take action are often very progressive and moving ahead. So, um, and it's more about trying to get every borough to take action. So there's a bit more consistency. So in terms of the ULES scheme, as part of it, you know, there are there's a scrappage program where yes. if you qualify for it and your car um, isn't um, doesn't meet standards, you can get up to two thousand mm-hmm. um, pounds or you can get a travel card as well and all of these things. So with doing something like that, is that something that you thought, hey, this is going to really help people transition away from high polluting vehicles? Absolutely. I think, you know, when we're, um, whether it's the ultra low emission zone or in fact any other policy that the mayor um, brings in, you know, we we look at um, in designing the policy, what the impacts will be um, on people in London uh, or businesses and understand what um, in designing the policy, what might help mitigate uh, certain impacts. Um, And whether that's, for example, for the ultra low emission zone, you know, we introduced a number of um, exemptions. So for people with disabilities up to 2027 or charities um, um, uh, as well. Um, but we also thought, you know, that people will need some help. So uh, we've been arguing uh, with government, lobbying government indeed, to um, implement a national scrappage scheme. And indeed the government provides funding for many of the clean air zone cities around the country. But um, has refused to do that for London, which is, uh, we think, hugely unfair. You know, Londoners pay um, almost about half a million, half a billion, sorry, I should say, uh, of um, vehicle excise duty that goes into the sort of national coffers, but we don't get any of that back to help people with scrappage. But the mayor decided that, you know, he wanted to help people. So he set up a scrappage scheme, which was initially targeted at the most vulnerable. So again, people with disabilities, um, charities, and so on. And then, um, 
when those priority groups uh, you know had had long enough i think to apply we then open that up more recently to every londoner so now every londoner is able uh, with a non-compliant vehicle is able to apply for that scrappage for two thousand pounds to replace a, a car and a thousand pounds for a for a motorbike um and he topped that funding up so it's 160 million pounds that the mayor has provided to help do that and it's been hugely popular um and people don't um have to then uh you know could take the scrappage or they can take a sort of combination of scrappage funding and um um getting a, a bus and tram ticket an annual bus and tram ticket so there are lots of different things that, that people can do we offer funding to help people retrofit their vans for example so rather than scrap a van if they if they if were able to retrofit it so that they could extend the the life of it but it's a cleaner vehicle then that we also do that so lots of different mitigations that we've offered and it's absolutely critical that you help people as far as you can to make the change um but you know people generally want to do the right thing um and you know the ultra low emission zone for, for however people might think it's it's been contentious actually the polling has always shown that people want to do the right thing want to improve air quality for their health of their themselves their family their friends um their neighbors yeah my wife and i now have a ules day so uh when mm -hmm. we know we have to pay a twelve. 12 pounds 50 we go all right we need to do everything on one day that means you're going to home base wix you're going to the shops you're going to boot everything you do in one day and I think we think there is an advert for us. you know and we we think we think like oh yeah we've gamed the system and then i sort of realized that's the point the point mm -hmm. is to have people work more efficiently and to work in a way that prevents more and more pollution Excellent. And so you mentioned earlier that you have a report, you have some data for me. Mm. I'm a person that loves data. Hit me with the data. Well, this is very timely. So we just published a, a report just sort of um, compiling some data after one month's operation of the expansion of the ultra low emission zone in August 23. And that showed that um, we've seen compliance, which is essentially the number of vehicles seen driving on an average day in, in the zone, uh, so in London, but also we've got data for outer London. And that's shown a, a jump from 85% um, uh, compliance um, in outer London uh, when the mayor first announced the uh, that he was consulting on the ULES expansion in May 22 to 95% um, now. So a huge 10 percentage point increase, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and, and essentially what that means is the outer London vehicle compliance rates have nearly caught up with inner London. So bringing cleaner air to five million more Londoners. Um, we've had about um, 37,000 Londoners and London's businesses and charities that have benefited from our scrappage scheme. So, you know, millions of pounds. I was talking about the 160 million pound scrappage scheme. So, you know, a lot of that has already gone out. There's still lots available. So anybody who hasn't taken up the offer, please, please do check if you've got a non-compliant vehicle. Um, and, you know, the, this is going to bring cleaner air, as I've said, to 5 million more Londoners. We don't have the data for that yet because we'll, we'll need essentially six to a, month, a year's worth of data so that we can properly um, talk about the air pollution impacts. And this is what we did when we reported on the central and inner London ultra low emission zones. It takes time. You've got to take account of the weather, seasonality of the weather and so on, um, to, to, so that we're absolutely clear about that. But we know that if it's anything like um, the impact that it had on the central and inner London 
zones that this will lead to 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 much cleaner air we saw um you know levels of the sort of the most dangerous pollutants you know pm and uh, 2.5 and, and and nox cut by almost a half in central london and around a fifth in inner london so um you know we still have a long way to go um but you know we're we're, we're really hopeful that the the sort of modeled um impacts that we expect to happen uh, are going to happen but we'll be able to report on that as i said in about six to six months to a year's time okay i'm, I'm excited i'm, I'm gonna see it i'm gonna read it i'm gonna like, yes more data mm-hmm. this is going well hopefully yeah and so in terms of like moving things forward now mm. are you optimistic like honestly as not as you as deputy mayor you mm. shirley's an individual you know a londoner are you optimistic Am I optimistic about the ultra low emissions zone and the impacts of that? Absolutely. We've seen the evidence from central and inner London. You know, this is one of the most effective uh, clean air measures. We've had scientists say, you know, uh, I think it's Dr. Fuller, Gary Fuller of Imperial College saying that he's not seen uh, an initiative like this in terms of its impact and, you know, globally. Uh, we've got lots of mayors from other cities looking on to see what we're doing in London because they want to emulate um, the same thing for their cities. Um, you know, maybe you know, all of them have different starting points and will have different powers, so they may not do it in the same way as a, as, a, as we do in London. But that idea of cleaning up London's air using charging mechanisms or, um, you know, in, in accompanied by, you know, various things like more public transport and active transport and electrification um, are really, really um, uh, seen as essential by by many mayors around the world and, and we're not going to meet our air quality targets or in fact our, our net zero targets I think without doing some of the things that we're doing so yeah hugely optimistic about um, about the ultra low emission zone um, and you know anecdotally lots of people say oh you know it does feel the air is cleaner in London um, but you know the evidence is being collated all the time by by academics and, and others that will, will point to that clean air impact and, and I think impact on health as well. And that's what I'm most excited about. Am I optimistic about what we can do generally on air pollution? I think um, absolutely. If, if if you have the leadership and if you have the will, as we have done with, with um, the mayor in London, Sadiq Khan, then, then you can really drive forward and, and you know, lots of people are, are, are looking for that leadership. And I think you know, we, we've shown in London what what can be done if you if you if you just push ahead, and and it does make a difference very quickly. We still have a lot to do. We've got to do, um, you know, more work on um, non uh, transport related emissions where we have very little powers. So we do rely on government. Uh, we have to do more work on indoor air pollution, which is um, something that the chief medical officer highlighted in his recent report. And again, this is something. Both of those areas are things that we've highlighted in the mayor's environment strategy. Um, but you know, obviously, you start with where you have the powers and the ability to take action, which is what we've done on transport missions and had a huge success. So now our, our attention turns to to other things as well. Am I optimistic um, about what we could do? Yes. Do I think uh, we're able to make as much progress as we have done uh, on the ultra low emission zone? Um, that is that's a difficult question to answer because obviously we've been saying to government, you need to give us the powers, you need to give us the funding. Uh, not just us but you know cities around local authorities around the country um you've really got to take this seriously and we haven't really seen that um that leadership from from our government which is to 
you know, is scandalous, I think, because we know we know how bad it affects people and we know this is something that, that can be resolved. These are lifelong illnesses that people get. You know, um Sadiq, um, you know, the you know, why Sadiq really took this as, as a key priority for him is because he was training for a marathon and, and developed adult onset asthma. He didn't realise that was because of our air pollution. Now he has that as a lifelong condition. Um, you'll have heard the story of um and the, the the terrible case of um Ella Radu Kissy Deborah, who who is the first person to have got air pollution on her uh, death certificate, you know, mm. again because of the, the terrible air pollution on the South Circular. These are all things that, that can be prevented if you um clean up our air and we have the solutions and it's really about having the will and the and the and the leadership to to tackle them. So I am optimistic um, if it was in our gift to get on with it, I think we would do, but it, it isn't. So we do rely on others, government particularly, to help. Um, slightly less optimistic about that, but who knows with the changing government. Hello, everyone. My name is Rosamond Hazuki Sidebra. I am the WHO Breathe Life Ambassador. I'm also a founder and, and director of the Ella Roberta Family uh, Foundation, which was set up after my late daughter died from a very severe asthma attack. And I have various ro roles, uh, like I'm the uh, honorary president of uh, BISA Indoor Healthy Buildings. So for you, I mean, you've lived in Lewisham for such a, a long time. Is it, you know, oh, yeah, I came here in 2000. So 2000, 2000 till now, 2023. I mean, for you, how would you say air quality has changed since then? Um, I think air quality in general has got better. Let's let's be let's talk facts now. Um, we've phased out coal to so I don't know whether all coal's phased out. So I better be careful. But coal has been phased out, and there have been some initiatives brought in starting with Ken Livingston so things have got better however now this is where it comes in it hasn't got better to the point that it does not impact human health I, I wish it did actually because then you, you and I wouldn't have to have this awful conversation let's start with before the pandemic the waiting list was at for between 4.6 and 4.9 million, depending on who, who you talk to. Uh, and that was even before the pandemic. And it's now 7.75. And the pandemic was three years ago. So, and it was always, it was always heading upwards anyway. So yes, the pandemic added some, of course, but not as much as, you know, when people blame everything, look, the figures were going in the wrong place anyway. The research in air pollution over the last 10 years, I think there's more research in the last 10 years than way before then. So we know we know far more now. We know that it impacts every organ in the body. So every non-communal disease is linked to air pollution. So Parkinson's, I mean, everything. I You know, when I list it from top to bottom, like strokes, cardiovascular, respiratory illnesses, low sperm count, miscarriages, um, stillbirth, now even more worrying, dementia, cognitive decline. They found black carbon on the brain. So very similar to, and I think what we need to be really concerned about, about Alex is, the same black carbon they found on the brain of dementia patients, they found that in the placenta of pregnant women. 
So let's just take a pause and think about that. So that means air pollution literally affects us from the cradle all the way to the grave. And what I'm trying to talk about is, no, not everyone's going to drop dead, but I'm talking about premature deaths. And also, you have to then factor in who is most impacted by air pollution. So we know the sources come from emissions, wood burning, construction, dust. So let's let's have a look at where we live, the country. Oh, sorry, and I apologise. Rural ammonia. So just to add on to, but if you let's go for urban air pollution, we know it's when you live near the main roads. Because someone wrote to me something every now and then. When someone writes me the most ridiculous thing, I, I then go back to many conversations my late father and I had. My late father was, you know, a highly intelligent man. He ran for elections even in Ghana. My father was steeply um, into politics, Mr. Kisidabra. And dad used to, every now and then, when I used to get frustrated at things, he always used to say, remember, not everyone is on your level. You know, when I used to go, like, what don't they see, dad? because I don't suffer fools gladly. So someone wrote to me on Twitter, as they do, another troller, are you trying to say the air pollution is racist now? That's what, <laughs> that's what I got. No, 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 that's what I got. And I, and I thought, so I, I remember when I met Chris Whitty, and we were talking about this, you know, those who were adversely impacted, and it was really comforting the following day to wake up to a headline of Chris Whitty addressing this issue. Because when I say it, apparently it's a problem. But hopefully when the CMO says it, then the other thing people need to understand is if you speak to, and look, I am from London, but speak to most GPs in London and talk to them about non-communal diseases and who does it impact most? This hmm. isn't, you know, inequalities in health. When I was doing my master's in 96, I knew about it then. It is nothing new. Forget all this culture war nonsense. There is so much research to do with inequalities. of. It is nothing new. You know, if you're poorer, you tend to live near a main road, social housing. That's where all the shops are. If you live, you know, on top of a Chinese, when they cook, you're going to be inhaling. This is nothing new. Just because the politicians have decided to weaponize air pollution it has now become part of this culture war. You know, this year we've had the ultra low emission zone uh, that has yeah. expanded, you know, from central, more central London to basically the entirety of greater London. Not and correct. It, no, no, not oh, no, no, no. Let me, let me say my question and then you can come in and yeah. say how I'm wrong. I speak for the every man here. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so ultra low emission zone has been expanded from uh, sort of more central London to the entirety of greater London. Uh, okay. how, what, what are your thoughts on this? When we went for a second inquest, the British public wrote to the attorney general to support us for the inquest. And, you, and also you may know or not know that it is not every inquest that has a, preve has a prevention of future death report. But LS1 was so significant, there was one in there because the coroner felt we needed to learn, otherwise more people would die. Right, during the inquest, there was not one expert, not one, on either side. So the parties in the inquest were the government, the mayor of London's office, not the mayor of London, his office. 
Sadiq Khan was not the mayor when my daughter died. I don't know how many times I need to repeat that. And the other party was Lewis Barra, who, due to a technicality, and I can say this, they were not in charge of air quality when my daughter died. So no matter what the outcome was, they weren't going to be held responsible. If Ella died for today, it would be a different matter because they are responsible. So these were the three parties. Now, everybody, the government's experts, everyone's experts, one of the things they all agreed, and I saw the recommendations, see, I've seen the recommendations to the coroner, was that the ultra-low emission zone should be expanded by the mayor of London. Forget about the deficit or whatever, whatever, from a health point of view. So what is, and it is no secret that I have a good relationship with the mayor. So initially in October, 2021, exactly two years ago, yeah, it was, because where the twins on half term, I can't remember, but we went, oh, he came to their school. So they were not on half term because he came to their school. It was expanded from central London to the North and South Circular. I have to admit to you, and I'm going to say this for the first time, I never swear, but I was pissed. Because what that meant is, the South Circular that ultimately killed Ella was not included. This is the bit that people still don't get. It was not included. So this, so this latest expansion finally included the South Circular. My point to Sadiq was, I can't believe, and you can see where I'm coming from, I can't believe you've just extended it just up to the North and South Circular. We're still being impacted. Then he said to me, he was like, well, you know, I can't just expand it because when people voted for it, whenever, whenever that was, it was to up to the North and South Circular. And I was like, but, Sadiq, you have a court who has told you to expand it. Now, you can see where I'm coming from. Mm, mm. So just expand it. And he's like, seriously, I want to say we fell out because we never fall out. We have Please, please, well, you're going to come on my podcast. Uh, I'm, I'm a simple boy. And you've come on my podcast being like, you know, me and the mayor of London, and we're on first name basis. Yeah, we had a falling out. Like, he's your classmate. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, continue. I can. Um, so, but what he said to me, look, I have to do, there has to be these consultations, there have to be, and I know deep down he's right, but because I so wanted it to expand, especially to include the North and South Circular, I kind of felt he could go to Londoners and say, look, there was an inquest, this is what I was told, that's why I'm doing it. I thought that was going to be enough, but he told me that's not going to be enough. So I wasn't going to let it go. So when he expanded it, I think and he said that on his podcast somewhere and I think he was on James O'Brien and I think I rang up and Sadiq, <laughs> Sadiq said he was after me going, yeah, well done, Mayor. Nah, I, I, I just wasn't feeling it, Alex. I, I was a bit like, how can you only extend it up to the South Circular? I have to admit, I wasn't, sorry, North London, I wasn't even looking at that because Ella's thing was about the South Circular. How can you not include it? And even he admitted that he thought I was going to ring him and say, well done, you've extended it. And that wasn't the case. And I do admit it. I wasn't going to let go because what I did tell him, and it will come out very soon, is remember the previous mayor. He should have done this and he didn't do it. And it cost my daughter her life. And I know politically, it's probably not the greatest thing, Sadiq. I know for you. However, I said to him, I know you. 
And I know if you were to leave office and you don't do it, no one's probably going to have the courage to, to actually do it. And the fact that I know your team, i.e. legal team, have briefed you, you know ultimately, even in outer London, the data is showing their health impacts are actually worse than inner London. And I think you will regret it if you don't do it. I said politically, I have to admit, I didn't think it would be as bad as this. Mm. The reason why I stick to the ULAs, because lower emission zones, they are all over the world, all over Europe especially. Lowering emissions, fossil fuels, if someone can give me another way to lower them, then fair enough. But at the moment, I haven't seen any. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Brought to You by Chemistry with me, Dr. Alex Lathbridge. Join us next time where we're going to be exploring the links between air quality and wildfires. I've been told to say that the conversation gets uh, heated, but I'll let you be the judge of that. See you next time.